All right, let's get on our feet. I'm going to read the Bible. All right, I'm going to read out of Isaiah 55, and then I'm going to jump over to 1 Corinthians. So bear with me. It's Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. First Corinthians 2, verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age or of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it's written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. And we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who's from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him, and he can't understand them, because they're spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, and is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's the word of the Lord. That's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Okay. The word of the Lord deserves a better, uh, better response than that, guys. Come on. All right, I'm going to finish this topic. This is the fourth message I've been talking about, the favor of the Lord. Who has been here for at least one of them? Come on. They're spanned out between the birth of my baby girl. I just had to get her in there somewhere, you know? People said, we have bets over and under. How many times are you going to talk about her in the sermon? I said, I don't care if you have bets. She's my daughter. I can talk about her whenever I want. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to close this up tonight. And we've been talking about, talked the first week about this understanding, this A.W. Tozer quote that the the... The most important thing about a person is what comes into your mind when you think about God. And that we've been deeply formed through our lives to have an image of God that's deeper than just our conscious thoughts, but it's subconscious thoughts. And the way that we were parented and spiritually formed throughout our life forms this image of God. And so God is a God who favors us. And if the church truly believed that, we would make God more attractive to the world because they would see the smile of a father beaming down upon the ones that he loves. God favors us. This is the invocation, the blessing prayed all throughout the Hebraic scriptures that the Lord would bless us and keep us and cause his face to shine on us. 
favor. It was a prayer for a revelation of this favor that would come from God's face. We receive favor as a child, always. We never outgrow that. Every day, we just need that time, dad time, where he just delights in us. Jesus needed it. We probably need it. Before Jesus did anything, he needed it. He was fueled by a revelation of favor that propelled him to persevere through the ministry that he was given from the Father. Jesus needed it. We needed it. So we talked about receiving favor as a child. That's the foundation. It never changes. If we don't get that foundation, when we turn the page and start talking about how to grow in favor, growing in favor is going to become kind of this transactional performance game because we have to receive favor as a child even before we can grow in favor. So that's the first message. If you weren't here, listen to that message after listening to this message because I don't want to create a religious paradigm in you. Okay, yeah, you guys don't think that's funny. I care about you, okay? I want to give you the truth in context. That's the hard thing of being a preacher when people don't come to church every single week. I've got the same different audience preaching the fourth message of a message. It's kind of hard. You don't feel very empathetic towards me. It's hard. I'm like, God, help me. I don't even know who's listening on live stream. You know, they always say the first thing of public speaking is know your audience. Like, how do you know your audience when they got a camera pointing at your face? Especially in COVID, I never knew my audience. I didn't actually know if I had an audience. I was like, wow, this is hard. All right, anyways, I'm glad you're here. That's the point of all of that. So how do we grow in favor? The Lord, the, the boy Jesus, Luke 252, the boy Jesus grew in stature and in wisdom and in favor with God and man. Isn't that fascinating? That Jesus, who was God, grew in favor with God. If Jesus needed favor, received before he did anything, so do we. And if Jesus grew in favor with God, so too do we need to grow in favor with God. Amen? But to understand this, I want to break it out of transaction. I've used the same cheesy thing, but I think it helps build a context. And I've talked about this make-believe story that I really believe is make-believe that, you know, if Naomi were to come to me in like 14 years when she's 14 and say, hey, dad, I want you to give me $10,000 for this weekend. And I'd be like, why? Because I want to go shopping with my friends. I'd say, I you don't, you can't hang with those friends anymore, actually. Not only is it no, but you can't hang out with those people anymore, you know? Be like, no way, I wouldn't even think about it. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even consider that yes, most likely, you know, if I was, unless I was inebriated with something other than the Holy Spirit, but I don't drink alcohol, proud of it, so I'm just opening up all kinds of cans of worms right now. <laughs> Anyways, I'd say no. I'd say no. I don't know why I said anything beyond that. I'd say no. Right? But same, same story. Switch, though. She comes to me and says, hey, Dad, I want you to make me a loan for $100,000 for a down payment on a house. And she gives me this whole business plan of the ROI that she's going to get. And she's thought through. And she's going to use this for four years. And she's going to save this much money to be able to pay for college. I'm going to be like, who told you that? Like, did you come up with that on your own? And if she did, I tell you what, I may not be able to do it or afford it, but I sure as heck would be interested. She'd catch my ear. Why? Because the presence of wisdom. The, the wisdom communicates a capacity to steward something. 
So when wisdom is present, it's going gonna, it's gonna to liven my heart in a way that the first request simply would not. Yes? So when we're talking about the idea of growing in favor with God, we're not talking about how do I become more lovely to him so that he will give more blessing to me. Right? The whole inheritance belongs to us already. God is not looking for us to change. His love for us is 100%. That's never going to change. He's absolutely crazy about us. He's got goo-goo eyes about us every single day of our lives. He favors us. Whether you believe it or not, wherever you are on the journey of truly, in the deepest part of you, the conviction of believing that God favors you, wherever you are, it doesn't matter. He favors you. He's already made up his mind. He's not going to change. Right? But what does change is our capacity to receive that favor, steward that favor. We grow in wisdom. The boy Jesus grew in stature and wisdom. I don't think it's, you know, that order, it's connected. And then favor with God. So if we're going to grow in favor with God, we have to grow in wisdom. Amen? Amen. And the way that we're going to grow in wisdom, which is learning to think the way that God thinks about life. Yeah. That's what wisdom is. There is a way of life. There is a created order. God created relationships. He created marriage. He created parenting. He created finances. He created everything that we're engaging with. He created. Sometimes we get this idea that God like lives at church. <laughs> he created the earth. He's not just interested in spiritual things. He created everything. He created a garden. He created work. He created animals. He created weeds. How do you know? Because Adam had to cultivate. He created it all. He wants to talk about it all. He, he knows the way of life, and wisdom is being discipled into that way of life. Or a better way to put it is it's bridging the gap of the two verses that I read for you. One to a rebellious Israel, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, they're a whole lot higher than you. Bridging that with 1 Corinthians chapter 2, who knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit inside the man, now you've received the spirit of God who's going to make known to you the thoughts of God so that you begin to spiritually appraise your life, assess life the same way that God assesses life and live with the mind of do you see that there's a bridge to gap there? My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts too. You have the mind of Christ. <laughs> wow. That's, that's preposterous. That's absolutely insane that God would set himself on that mission to bridge that gap. I'm going to disciple you to start thinking like I think. I'm going to grow you in wisdom so that Wisdom will then communicate the capacity to steward the favor of God. God is looking for wise stewards that he can make blessings to the earth. This is what happens with unwise stewards. Israel was set apart and chosen by God to be a light to the nations, right? But were they a light to the nations? No, they lacked the wisdom. They lacked the perspective to see why they were chosen and favored. And so it turned it in on itself and they became a rebellious house that didn't think like God and had to go into exile multiple, multiple times. So God isn't, he's a wise father. He's not going to bestow our inheritance. He actually can't give us portions of our inheritance because the presence of wisdom isn't there. How much does God want to give us? According to the Bible, everything. You've been blessed in heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. 
We've been filled with the fullness of God. Him in whom all the fullness of God dwelt. You've been filled in Him. If He didn't withhold Jesus, will He withhold any good thing from you? Right? He wants to give you everything. He's a Father. It's like, mine is yours. This is His message to the Pharisees with the whole prodigal son story. That whole story, right? The, in, the younger brother took his portion of the inheritance, which was a third. In that day, younger brother would have gotten a third. Older brother would have gotten two-thirds. Younger brother goes and squanders his inheritance. He comes back, still gets the ring. And the older brother's upset, saying, why didn't you give me the fattened calf? He's the one who squandered it. And the father looks at him and says, everything I have is yours. But the older brother in that religious paradigm couldn't even see. He saw himself as a slave, not as a son. He couldn't receive his inheritance. God is passionate about us receiving. Like, a father just wants to give. But he can't give unless he sees the wisdom. All right, I think you understand. I made the point, yes? Yes. So I want to talk about wisdom tonight. How do we grow in wisdom? Because if we grow in wisdom, we'll grow in favor. Growing in wisdom is what precipitates growing in favor. Because once you grow in wisdom, favor will be used for what it's intended to be. It will bring you blessing and then it will become a light to the nations. Psalm 67, God, would you bless us and be gracious to us so that your ways would be known in the earth and your salvation amongst the nations. God is multiplicative. Everything he does produces life. So when he blesses you, it's not just to bless you. He does want to bless you, but he wants to bless you and then multiply blessing to the world around you. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. He wants you to be so outrageously blessed. And this doesn't mean that you don't have hardship and there's not trials. No, all of that's true. Count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, right? It's, it's not like this living in the clouds, happy dappy Christianity. No, it's real, but it's blessed. Yeah, there's suffering, but in his presence is fullness of joy. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. That's good because it's the Bible. I, I'm not, that's not me. That's all the Bible. So you can, it's so good. All right. So to grow in wisdom is going to require conversation with God. Say conversation with God. We grow in wisdom with conversation. That's how you learn the way that somebody thinks. Right? If you wanted to think and get inside someone's mind, have mutual mind with them, you'd have to have a lot of conversation and time with them. This is why God has you live with your parents for 20 years. Well, 18 years. Millennials are just pushing that. What about 22? What about 24? What about 26? I think I was with my dad till I was 29. I bought a house and moved in with my dad the same week because COVID messed up our entire, entire plan. I was like, this is lame, Lord. I actually tried. I tried to adult and buy a house, and now I'm living with my dad. Anyways, that's the story for another day. No shame. Millennials are just changing the way people do things. Anyways, conversation. 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 Okay. We, so this is Psalm 32. I want to read this. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be like a horse or a mule, which don't have understanding, 
They need a bit and a bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they won't come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. The Lord's saying, I'm your counselor. I'm your teacher. I'm your instructor. I want to teach you in the way you should go. I want to make known to you the way of life. Don't be like a mule or a horse that doesn't listen. And you have to put a Brit and put, you're fight them and tell them where to go. And you have to be one that I can just speak and influence relationally. Be one that I can counsel. You know, I know a number of counselors and they've told me, yeah, you know, I have clients come in sometimes and they don't really, they're not, they don't want to be there. So it doesn't really help them. Because if you don't want to be influenced, you won't be. It's kind of one of the challenges of being human, right? If you don't want to be, you won't be. You can't change somebody. So God is a counselor. He's a teacher. He's an instructor. He's wanting to counsel and guide us into wisdom, into the truth. But we often come to God trying to get answers from him. Say answers. We often come to God wanting to get answers. God doesn't want to give us an answer. He wants actually us to leave with more questions. Because counselors, you don't go to counselors to get answers. You go to counselors to get wisdom, to get understanding. We want quick answers to things. That's just not the Jesus that we see in the scriptures. Let's take a look at this story. John 3, there's a man named Nicodemus. We know him. Oh, you don't? Anybody seen The Chosen? He's in that too. Nicodemus, he's a, he's a teacher of Israel. And he is coming to Jesus at night, and he starts by saying, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What you can read into this text, he's coming by night, and he's basically coming saying, Rabbi, you're doing good things. And he, what, what is he wanting to know? Is, are you the Messiah? That's what Nicodemus is really at the heart he's trying to get at, is I want you to tell me plainly. I, he's probably got some problems in his mind, like all the Pharisees did. Nicodemus is an exceptional Pharisee. He was close to the kingdom of God. But he's got some issues, and he's trying to sort them out with Jesus so that he can just know, I want to know, are you the Messiah, so that we can figure that, you know, we don't get this, all this other stuff out of the way. Let's just, let's just do this thing. All right, so he comes and says this. You're, you're the teacher. No one can do these things. And Jesus answers him and says, truly, I say to you, unless one's born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. <laughs> this is funny. This would be like, this would be like modern day. Somebody, you know, is a seeker. They're a seeker. They're not in the church yet. Maybe they're a friend or a coworker. And they finally come to you and they're like, hey, this Jesus guy seems like he, maybe he is God. They're like seeking. And you would answer them and say, no one can be into the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Be like, what? Like, wouldn't you be like, wow, that's awesome. You're seeking. Nicodemus, I'm proud of you, dude. High five. Let's talk about it. You want him to feel comfortable. Not Jesus. Jesus is just like, right? And we know what born again means. Nicodemus has no idea. Like, what are you saying right now? So Nicodemus wants an answer. Jesus gives him not what he's looking for. And so then Nicodemus says, well, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't go into his mother's womb a second time, can he? And then Jesus doesn't answer that. He just says, 
I say to you, unless one's born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Don't be amazed. I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. <laughs> I mean, you're like, what? What are you saying to me? I want to know if you're the Messiah. And you're, now you're talking about being born again. And now not in my mother's womb, but of water and the spirit. And then the spirit's like wind. <laughs> you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. This is not straightforward, Lord. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? What's Jesus being right here? He's being a teacher. What do teachers do? They're trying to provoke you to think. They're trying to get you to stimulate thought and perhaps consider things that you wouldn't have considered otherwise. And what is Jesus' first words on the scene? Repent. The kingdom of God's here. Change the way you think. What is Jesus trying to do to Nicodemus? See, Nicodemus thought he wanted a yes or no answer. Are you the Messiah? But yes wouldn't have cut it. Why? Because Nicodemus didn't even have a context for what the kingdom of God actually was and what the Messiah actually was. So Jesus could have said, I'm the Messiah, but it wouldn't have cut it. So what's Jesus trying to do? Uh, he sees you, he's like, yeah, you don't, you're not ready for the, the revelation. Let me instruct you in the way. Let me ask questions. Let me provoke you. Let me give you different ideas that you're going to have to go and ruminate and think about and ponder and reflect because in that process, you're going to learn wisdom. You're going to start to think like God. You're going to start to see the kingdom because wisdom is going to illuminate you. It's going to flood your mind. It's going to open your spiritual eyes to see what you couldn't see before. Like Nicodemus, many of us go to God for answers. We think we want answers. He doesn't want to give us the answers. He wants to give us more questions. He wants to, he wants to challenge us. He's a teacher. He's a counselor. He's trying to get us to pivot, to think, to change, to, to, to grow up in the way that we perceive life. He's trying to disciple us in the way. James and John, they don't have quite enough courage to go to Jesus themselves, so they get their mom to go to Jesus. Say, hey mom, go ask Jesus if we can sit on the right hand and the left hand. I want to be on the right hand, he wants to be on the left. But either way, it's fine. Ask him. So she goes and asks Jesus, and what, what does Jesus respond with? Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? They wanted an answer, he gave them a question. And I would say a question they were probably going to wrestle with the rest of their lives. Because he's trying to get them down. He doesn't even despise them. Because what are they actually asking? They don't even know what they're asking. They're wanting proximity. They're wanting closeness. Yeah, it was kind of messed up. This is a picture of a lot of our prayer lives. Truly. We think we know what we want. We don't really. But God doesn't despise us. He sees our heart. Right? They wanted proximity, but they needed more wisdom so that they could receive the favor of what Jesus was wanting to give. 
But in the current state, they wouldn't have been able to. So he asked them a question that they were going to have to ponder. In that pondering, he was actually giving them the pathway to true intimacy, which is suffering love. We think often we want answers. God wants to give us questions. He wants to challenge us because he's a counselor. He's an instructor. Don't be like the horse or the mule. Don't, don't be stubborn. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be so fixed in the way that you think that you think you have it figured out. Come to me and let me relationally influence you in conversation so that I can grow you in wisdom. This is good. This is good. We have the most incredible teacher. We are told of many benefits of wisdom. I just want to inspire you a little bit of why you would want to, to seek for wisdom. I just totally went to the wrong book of the Bible. I'm in the Psalms. I'm supposed to be in the Proverbs. But I, I want to whet your appetite a little bit for why would we, why would we engage with the, the rigor of wisdom? This is... Uh, Proverbs chapter 2. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you'll discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the path of justice and preserves the way of his godly ones. And you'll discern righteousness and justice and equity and every right course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. Proverbs chapter 3. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain is better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing that you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all who hold her fast. Proverbs 4. I, this is just a few. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place a garland of grace upon your head and present you with a crown of beauty. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all you're acquiring, get understanding. James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask the Lord without, with faith and without doubting, and he will give it to you. This is all throughout the scriptures. Colossians 2, Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom are hidden. Colossians 3, now seek him first. Who Christ, who is your life, will be revealed with him. God is desiring to give us wisdom because wisdom communicates the capacity to steward. And the heart of a father is that he wants to lavish the fullness of his blessing upon us. I'm not trying to preach prosperity gospel. This is in the midst of life. 
a wisdom to discern the path, the way, the creative way, the fruitful way of living that God ordained for his kids, right? But as James 1 says, we have to ask in faith, which another way of describing faith would be expectation. Ask in the expectation that when you ask for wisdom, you're going to receive wisdom. Here's the problem. If I expect that wisdom's going to come as an answer, I might be disappointed. Because he doesn't want to give an answer. He wants to challenge and provoke a new way of thinking. He wants to give you new questions. He wants to give you new thoughts. So we ask in wisdom with the expectation that God's going to start challenging us in our circumstances. And that challenge is going to grow us up in wisdom. This is why it says in James 1 to ask in faith for wisdom between two verses that talk about blessed count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And then about five verses after the wisdom, it says, blessed is he who perseveres under trial. You'll receive the crown of life. Proverbs, you'll be given a garland of grace upon your head. It's wisdom. It's all in the midst of conflict, trial, hardship, life. God wants to give us wisdom for how we live our own subjective little life so that it comes in alignment with the way. You guys are really quiet. You're, you're with me. I can give you a little bit more to chew on. So God wants to disciple us into thinking as children, not just as servants. John 15, 15, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and this is after three, three and a half years of discipleship with him. And he says, hey, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. Servants don't know what the master's doing, but friends know. They have disclosure. So Jesus is actually opening to them in this moment a new dimension of relationship. Hey, you've known servanthood, and now I'm inviting you into friendship. I think this another way that I like to articulate this would be servanthood versus sonship. So there's different dimensions of relationship with God. Let me just articulate the difference between these two things. Both of them have to do with the posture of the will, right? So the will is the creative backbone of human beings. It's the decision maker. It's the drive. It is what decides human will. You know, I'm getting like, this is why we freak out when I'm freaking out whenever Naomi smiles at me because she's, her will is being used in a creative expression that wrecks my whole life again and again and again. It's like a half smile and I melt like a puddle on the ground, right? Because we celebrate the human will. There's something about the will acting in a certain way that's powerful repercussions of that. So servants, the will is being discipled by God into submission and obedience. Say submission and obedience. So servants, the will has to be broken and we have to become submissive and obedient. So a servant, the height of servanthood is that I will be perfectly obedient to any command that I am given. We never outgrow this. This is the foundation of relationship with God. This is the foundation of what we even were building at the younger ages with children is we're teaching you obedience. We're teaching you that this is the way and I'm an authority over you to follow in the way. Right? But when we graduate into this friendship or this sonship expression, this is now when the will is being discipled into the creativity of wisdom. So say wisdom. Now the will is being discipled into wisdom. The will as a son, there's a freedom that doesn't exist as servants. Servants are seeking for commands of what I need to do. Sons don't relate to a father in a command-based way. A great example of this would be like, 
young men when they're dating. This was me. Lord, is she the one? Is she the one that you should have me? And the Lord rebukes me at one point. I was like 22. And he said, stop asking me that. He said, I'm not going to make you marry someone. He said, what you want to know is, am I blessing that? What do I think about that? He's like, but I will not tell you what to do. And I'm not going to tell you what covenants to make in your life. I was trying to make a sonship decision in a servanthood paradigm. This is when we get stagnated in spirituality. Because when we're only living in a yes or no, give me a command paradigm as a servant, and I haven't matured into sonship, I don't know what to do with freedom. (laughs) Wow, this is good, I'm preaching. Right, so servanthood is the foundation of sonship. If we try to jump to sonship without servanthood, we will use our freedom in terrible ways. We will use our freedom. We won't actually be free. Freedom is the ability to do, live under the wisdom of God. Right, so if we, we can't jump there. Servanthood is the foundation of sonship. Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Right, we are disciplined by the perfect father, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 12. And that, that discipline is to discipline us into the way of obedience. This is good. It says obedience in the moment doesn't ever feel good, but it's good because he's discipling us. He's disciplining us for our good. He's breaking the independence so that we will become perfectly submissive. As that foundation is laid and then it hardens, then the Lord begins to build this new work. The, the threshold of servant is built upon, and we develop this whole realm of relationship of sonship with God, which is a, real, a realm of freedom. You know, ideation, innovation, thinking, mutuality, co-laboring, co-creating, where he is the authority and he is the supreme partner, but there's a give and a take. There's a maturity that rises up in us as we come into sonship, right? So servanthood is not the pinnacle of relationship with God. It's a lid to say that should be surpassed, right? Servants will stagnate around decisions that involve freedom, because they haven't been discipled into the counsel, the instruction, the wisdom of the Lord. They've only been discipled in the way of obedience. So if you're a servant and you come to the crossroads, crossroads where God's creating a, a sonship type moment, you'll, there'll either be kind of two, there's trepidation on either side, but there can be uh, kind of like a, oh, whatever, put my head in the sand and I'm just going to do it because I don't know what to do and I'm freaking out. Or it can be like a, a paralysis by analysis. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm just waiting for the Lord to tell me what to do. And I don't know what to do until he tells me what to do. So there's like this black and white. I don't know what to do in this. And this is where wisdom is much more nuanced than that. Sons have been discipled into wise decision making. They think like the father. They make decisions like the father. Why? Because they know what the father thinks about things. They, his thoughts are their thoughts. His ways are their ways. The signet ring in Hebrew culture, they would give the signet ring and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. The signet ring that a father would put on a son was a public symbol that a son had come to maturity and it meant that the son could transact business in the name of the father. Meaning that whatever the son did, it was as if the father was saying it. Meaning that the father trusted that the son could go out and transact business in the marketplace and he would make good decisions 
without needing to consult him because he had been trained in the way. He thought like him. That's what the signet ring meant. I trust you, son. There is wisdom inside of you. Sons live in the disclosure of the father. They know his counsel. They've received his instruction. Why? They were not spoon-fed answers in life. They were challenged to learn how to think about life by the best teacher in the history of the world. You know, people say, oh my gosh, they're, you, know, you go to Harvard. That person goes to Harvard. Well, you know, when you go to Harvard, you, you pay a bunch of money unless you get a scholarship, but you have classes with 50 to 100 other people and you go through your four years and you maybe have a couple conversations with your instructors. But you're from Harvard. You get your Harvard law degree. I'm a, I'm a Harvard boy. I'm a, you know, it's like, you're like, oh my gosh, he went to Harvard. You know, it's like, we're like, wow, who is our instructor? The Holy Spirit, who's been given to guide us into truth. And we have as much face time as we want with him. We have a life of being discipled by him. What does Harvard have on the one who actually formed life itself? <laughs> we should exude creative brilliance in our lives. Not because of our IQ but because of our instructor. That is good, because it's true. So sons, daughters, bear with me, daughters, you know, guys are brides, girls are sons. That'll come to you like at two in the morning. <laughs> sons are problem solvers. Children of God are problem solvers, because when they come to problems in life, the wisdom of God is brooding. They're processing things. They, they think like he does. This isn't just like a step. Well, here's the five-step thing. that I, No, they, they think like him. It's like his voice is in my head. I'm processing because I'm always processing. I'm, he who is spiritual assesses all things. He's not assessed. He's not appraised by anyone, but he praises all things. He assesses life with God, because we have the mind of Christ. The Spirit of God is living and brooding inside of me. I'm processing. I'm thinking. So when I get to problems, I'm not scared of problems, because I'm a problem solver. The Spirit of wisdom, divine wisdom, lives inside of me. Problems excite me, because I'm a problem solver. Innovative thinkers. Necessity breeds innovation. We are in a world desperately craving innovative thinking about how to relate, about how to live, about how to communicate. I'm so tired of seeing the church fall into one side of the polarities that are rife in culture. Why doesn't the church have the innovative spirit of wisdom to start speaking a new way? This is what God's looking for. That I would... I would instruct you in the way and that you would bring blossoming where other people are dying and killing things. That your garden would flourish where the gardens to the left and the right are being scorched because you are under my watch. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. You will be a Psalm 1 tree, fruitful in every season. You won't fear the drought. You won't fear the storm because you're planted by the river of God. You have access to divine wisdom in every circumstance. Bar none.
And lastly, sons cultivate a track record of fruitful decision-making that glorifies God. James 3, wisdom from above is first peaceable, it's pure, it's gentle, it's reasonable, it's without hypocrisy, it bears good fruit, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where the rubber meets the road in our life is our decisions. At the end of our life, our life is the fruit of the decisions that we made. And God wants to give wisdom to us on how to make those decisions and then that would so favor and lead to blessing. And right, we would come into a symbiotic relationship with the creator of the heaven and the earth, the one who speaks and things come. We would live in the counsel of that wisdom, not just his answers, but we would live in an ongoing conversation that would be provoking, it would be challenging. We'd constantly have to be pivoting. We'd have to fight. We'd have to wrestle sometimes. God forbid six months to even know what to do. Because it's not about so much what to do. It's about what he's doing on the inside. So he's discipling us into this beautiful living conversation with the author of life. And what we would cultivate is a very fruitful track record. People would start to actually trust your decision making because they'd see the peace and the fruit and the, and the righteousness and the goodness of God evident in your life. You'd become a light to the nations. All right, how do we grow in wisdom? I'm finishing up. Here, here's your homework. Survey your life and recognize that there's probably areas currently where God is inviting you to step into sonship or daughterhood. He doesn't want to tell you what to do. He wants to challenge you to think in a new way so that you could discover that the kingdom of God is at hand now. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. You have access to his intimate, direct leadership, his counsel, his thoughts, his perspectives. Your thoughts can be his thoughts, his ways, your ways. You have the mind of Christ. And start to recognize that the decisions that can be anxiety producing or that can really have to wrestle or, you know, sometimes when I'm sitting on decisions, I find that I think the decisions here at the superficial level and all of a sudden I'm eight feet deep into the thoughts and the intentions and the motives of my heart. Well, why do you want to make that decision financially, Jordan? Is it this superficial response, or are you going to let wisdom take you down to the root? Is it of the self, or is it being motivated by me? Is it in patience? Is it in time, right? You have to ask questions that you wouldn't really have to ask, but you get wisdom. And what does wisdom communicate? The capacity to steward favor. Stand on your feet. I'm going to read and, and pray this out of Ephesians 1. And I just felt like there's a... You know, I believe in impartation. And I just want to pray a, a prayer impartation. Uh, that, you know, Paul, Paul prays that the Father of glory would give to us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of our heart would be enlightened so that we would know what the hope of his calling is, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. I just want to pray tonight that a spirit of wisdom would come upon us as a people. Um, if, if that's something that you want, I, I want you to just, 
you know, if you want to, if you want to kneel, if you want to come forward, if you want to open your hands, it, I, I just, whatever you want, if, if you're desiring saying, God, I, I want your wisdom. I want the illumination, the light to shine into my interior world of decision-making. I invite your holy wisdom to provoke and challenge and instruct and counsel me. I just, you can respond now and then, and then we're going to pray. Lord, we thank you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's you, Holy Spirit. You are the wisdom that founded the earth. You are the one who created and pioneered the way of life. You have all wisdom, all relational wisdom, financial wisdom, spiritual wisdom. Every form of wisdom that we can fathom for every single circumstance we could ever know. And we ask tonight, God, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would impart into us as a people a spirit of wisdom, that you would illuminate our hearts, you would open our eyes. Lord, that you would challenge us with new thoughts, new perspectives, new questions, that we would see what we hadn't seen before, that we would be provoked and you would be stirred and compelled to enter into conversations. Lord, I pray that you would, I just, I see the Lord putting journals into people's hands and uh, that, that it's like this place. I just see some of you, you don't even journal, but I see the Lord for some of you, whoever that is, just receive it. I see that that will be a, a discipline of learning wisdom in your life through, through journaling and processing your life before the Lord, that there'd be a Psalm 45 anointing, that your, your pen, your hand would be the pen of a ready writer, your, your, your lips, there'd be a, 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 an illuminating of the inner life, an ability to begin to articulate what's going on, Lord, that you would, your word would shine into the inner places, like Hebrew 4 says, that your word would expose the thoughts and the intentions of our heart, and there, God, right there, in the exposing, you would instruct us in wisdom. God, grow us in wisdom. God, may we be like the boy Jesus, got a community who grew in stature and in wisdom and in favor with God and with man. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you will start conversations in this room right now. And I just encourage you to just sit and listen for a few moments. Allow the Lord to, to just begin to maybe stir up a conversation about a an area in your life or a decision that you're facing. God, I thank you for the freedom that comes in being a son or a daughter of the living God. I thank you that you don't just call us slave. You call us son. You call us daughter. And I just pray, Lord, for those that have been stagnated for too long in a black and white paradigm of yes or no, that you would break that mold tonight by your spirit, Lord, that you would invite with a new expectation and joy into a new maturity of exploring what this whole son-daughter relationship looks like with the Father of Lights.
And I pray that in Jesus' name. You know, I don't know if you, if you have journals. I just feel like some of you, the Lord's starting conversations. I just don't leave until you've kind of heated to that. If you have maybe even just a note on your phone, just begin, just begin processing. Like just write it down or something. But the Lord's moving in this place. I just thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Holy Spirit. I pray your blessing, your favor upon us for the sake of your name. Bless us, keep us, cause your face to shine upon us. Turn your face toward us. Lift your countenance and give us peace. That your ways be known on the earth and that this, this valley will know your saving power because of the favor stewarded by this house. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can stay if you want to stay. You can go if you want to go. But know the Lord's with you wherever you go. We'll see you next week.